1: Welcome to the official tennis.com podcast featuring professional coach and community leader, Kamal Murray. Welcome to the tennis.com podcast. I am your host, Kamal Murray. And let's talk about what we just saw at Indian Wells. I'm gonna make it brief. Jack Sock is the best doubles player in the world, regardless of who he plays with, regardless of the surface. Carlos Alcaraz is up next. The way he plays, his style, limits his ability to have bad days. He needs to develop a weapon, but for now he's coming up. Jensen Brooksby proves that toughness, heart and effort will be talent and strokes any day. And Taylor Fritz owes Riley Pelka and Nick Kyrgios a hug. Those two players pushed Nadal to the brink, kept him on the court a long time and wore him down leading into the final. If you look at all the matches Nadal, has played in this tournament. Players are catching up. They're getting closer and closer and closer, especially on a hard court. Time is catching up with them. And on the women's side, Igas Fiontek is probably the best woman on tour today. She beat some very good players in the way that we don't see that often. Not many people give Maddie Keys a 6-0 set as well as she serves. The dominance, the heart, the girl can play, and she deserved to win that week. This week on the show we have Stephen arbitrage steve and i is a, an executive at utr former usta coach coached numerous pros on tour played college tennis at duke and is the husband of allison risk we get into a lot of talk today about the mystery behind utr the algorithm what it means to tennis how it's changing tennis what we need to do to keep moving the game forward and we talk about life as a tennis husband hiring coaches, working on the road. Take a listen and enjoy. Welcome to the Dennis.com podcast. I'm your host, Kamal Murray, and we got my brother here who would traveled to three, four different continents, 20 different countries, spent 30 weeks together on the road. Uh, one of the guys I used to see in the bar, now I don't. I see him in the lobby with his laptop all the time. He's a uh, uh, big wig over at UTR now, which is sort of reshaping the way, um, you know, tennis is thought of and played uh, at every level, you know, and me, his name is Steven Armitrage. Let's welcome him to the show.
0: Thanks, Kamau, I appreciate that. It was, it, that, that is quite the intro. I, I, I have been spending significantly more time on my laptop these days, so yes, that's correct.
1: Oh, I mean, dude, I used to see you on the court, maybe drop an F-bomb here and there. Now I see you sitting in some corner looking for some Wi-Fi, trying to have a Zoom call with somebody at this 3 a.m. on the U.S. state. So tell us about your ascent into tennis and sort of how you got to where you are now. Because I look at sort of, you know, my journey in tennis and I'm probably somewhere I shouldn't be, never thought I would be, you know, dibble and dabbling in different realms. But you're doing it on a whole nother level.
0: Well, I mean, I appreciate that. I think we all have our own journey and, you know, there's steps along the way where each of us has gotten to where we've gotten. Um, I mean, I think, you know, I played juniors. I, I went to Duke for, for college tennis. I played a little bit of doubles on the tour. I had, had some knee injuries pretty early. Um, and then I kind of went into coaching really early. Like, you know, as soon as I was done, Rajiv Ram who was my best friend and my cousin Prakash when they're kind of challenger level players said, Hey, look, I think you'd always be good at this. Do you want to try it out for a little bit? And you know, it was a little sad, like, I was, I was, I still had a competitive fire, but I just was not healthy enough to kind of, like, keep going myself, so, like, that was kind of a really, a little bit of a sad point for me, where I was like, okay, well, maybe I would be okay at this, and so I started coaching them, um, you know, Rajiv won Newport the HP title within six months, so we were, we, we were kind of moving in the right direction, but, you know, it was really starting from kind of that bottom, you know, I mean, as a coach, and as someone who is working with challenger-level players, not even, top 100 players at the time until you earn it. Um, I got burned out a little bit and then, you know, ended up kind of doing a, 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 a stint with Fish with Marty, um, coaching him or, or really kind of being an assistant coach to kind of the the program that they had had. He was top 10 at the time. And I just learned so much from him. So, you know, that was kind of like my initiation into kind of like top top level tennis. Um, I then kind of worked for the USDA uh, as a national coach, mostly for the men pro, men's program in Carson. Um, and then, And then kind of oversaw the collegiate program for the USTA before joining on as an executive at at Universal Tennis, formerly UTR. Um, And yeah, I mean, like the one thing I'm really proud of is like, I don't feel like I skipped any steps, like started from the bottom, started at 600 bucks a week, you know, coaching these guys and, (laughs) you know, kind of like grinding it out, like from like really, really, truly the bottom. And like, it was, it was everything that I needed to learn and observe it was like a doctorate in tennis. So um, I'm really proud of like my journey with that because there was no there was no shortcuts taken. But your bottom is different than most people's bottom because you have
1: some tennis lineage, right? BJ Armitage is a relative of yours. So correct. like mine was the bottom. Mine is like 72nd and Jeffrey, you know, well, tennis racket from Walmart, trying to hide my tennis racket in the garbage can behind my house so my friends didn't see me walking to and from bus. You, yours was like, oh look, yeah, my brother's just be dry. So you got look, like, it's in your blood.
0: Look, I hear you, uh, <laughs> and like I have been incredibly lucky at you know the the kind of starting point that my family put me in. But you know, I mean, I, I do believe that there's an element of earning the process yourself. So yeah, it's different for everyone, and kind of for my professionalism and for my kind of starting point as a coach, and then kind of you know working into an administrator and executive. Um, you know, I'm proud to say that like I, my journey has been what I, you know, I'm, I'm something, something that I'm really proud of. And, you know, it's not been something where I believe that, you know, kind of a starting point has, has got me there, but it's something that I've tried to learn and earn myself.
1: Now, your cousin Prakash is famous for his muscles. And he is. And I always see him working out, but you are kind of like me, like my version of workout is working out my fingers on my laptop. I don't see you in the gym. How did you all get on totally different paths like that?
0: Well, look, I think it's um, I mean, the two things that precaution I have in common is is just an you know, I mean, a very a very strong competitive drive. Um my competitive drive is really around kind of where I feel like I can add value to, you know the business end of the sport, to the company that I've you know committed my career to, to my wife, who I feel like Allison, who I feel like, You know, I want to try to be helpful to and kind of there for whenever we need. Um, And then kind of last after all that, like if there's some time left in the day and some energy left, like you know, we'll 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 do certain you know kind of stuff that you know is physical or kind of on myself. But um, I look at this as I'm a giving guy. I feel like I'm a pretty selfless guy, and um, the energy that I have is usually dedicated to to that, I mean, Prakash has a brand that is, you know, very visible. And (laughs) I think very, I think it's pretty incredible actually, because, um, the one thing about him and the one thing that I wake up kind of inspired by each day is his dedication and his discipline and his commitment. Um, obviously I think everyone is going to have that in different degrees and kind of different, um, you know, just, just paths for that. And so, um I know and it's very easy to see and it's very easy to get a motivating text message from him each day like you know I mean I know that he's going for it and you know for someone as close to me as that it, it makes me want to do the same so you
1: mentioned uh Allison so you're the husband of Allison Risk and I always talk to John Lloyd and give him shit all the time because I say I mean the dude was a professional tennis player a British legend and he was known as Chris Everett's husband right, or Chris was ex-husband. How do you deal with that?
0: Well, I mean, look, like, I think that I'm incredibly <laughs> proud of Ally. I mean, and, and there's definitely gonna be some people who think of me as her husband. I think of myself as my own person. And, you know, I think that I've achieved enough kind of in this right now, in the sport and in in the ecosystem that we live in to, you know, be known as Stephen Amitrage and kind of proud of what I've done. Um, you know, for her, I, I'm I'm her biggest fan, and I always will be. And you know, I, I want to see her do uh, great and to the best of her ability each day. And you know, if there's um, if there's a if there's a situation where I need to kind of be helpful or put her in front of me or do whatever I can to um, you know making her making her be in the best position to to succeed, you know, I'm definitely gonna try to be helpful there. So, I primarily
1: coach women right? Me just, just, I actually prefer, you know, I feel like girls process stuff like quicker. You got to say it a little more sensitively, right? And sometimes you got to take the back door where guys, you could like be like a little more direct, you go right at them. So you've obviously coached a lot of men at the collegiate level, as well as on tour. Uh, You've coached one woman that I know. Tell me the difference between coaching men and women.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, I think that that is right. It seems to be you know way more of a I mean I think that I think in general you can be a little bit more straightforward with with the guys um but quite honestly like I I think that regardless of the gender of the the player they want the truth and they want the the honesty that you know someone is going to give them in terms of how they're going to be the best player that they can be and so they're all competitors they're they're in the top 0.0001% of what they do in the world. And you're just talking about, I mean, just razor thin margins on whether you're going to be winning or losing and whether you're going to be top 10, top 20, you know, top 50, top 100. And, you know, there, I think the interesting thing on that, Kamal is like, know they're earning their their job every week and they're kind of on the firing line each week you know so whether they're trying to make a cut for a bigger event or whether they're trying to make you know top 100 to be able to kind of make the grand slams or whether they're able to be nine versus eight and making you know the world tour finals like those are big 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 kind of like margins that are just just kind of like right there that can can basically make a career and, and and know kind of not make a career and so they want the truth they want things um said to them i mean that's going to make them better at least i've found the people that i've worked with to be very coachable um and you know i try to i try to give that to them i think that the key as a coach is trying to find out the best way to say the same things you know over and over again depending on who you're talking to
1: yeah the, the, the difference i found is when to say it right i think they all want the truth It's just picking your spots on when is the right time to either address it, you know, whether it's immediately after the match, 30 minutes after, or even over dinner, or even the next day, right? When they're willing to receive it. And I think when I look at like, from my coaching career, coaching multiple players, when we weren't successful, I didn't poke the bear. Mm. And what I would say to like a young coach um, is always poke the bear, right? Because at a certain level, you figure, you, you feel like, okay, this player's three in the world. They're probably a better tennis player than I ever was. Sure. Doesn't look as sharp right now, but in the next hour and a half, they'll work it out, right? But sure. when they get on the court, it'll work itself out. And then you find like, it doesn't, right? Or it didn't. Or damn, I wish I would have said that. <laughs> Do you find that to sort of be the case as well?
0: I mean, look, I think for young coaches out there, you need to find your voice. You need to earn your trust before you say anything. But look, for me, and this is what I believe, like, whether it's, you know, working with players or working with, you know, people in our company, whatever it is, like, I don't want to leave anything unsaid. And the fact that if we feel like as a group and as, you know, something that I believe in strongly, that it's going to make people people better. And I think that that's a key point. I mean, it, whether that's poking the bear or, or not, like, I think we're all here to, Try to improve myself included, and I'm willing to take advice from anyone to do that. And I think that they're willing. I mean, the people that I want to surround myself with are 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 willing to be open minded enough for that and have a growth mindset with it. So, you know, I wouldn't leave anything unsaid, especially if you feel like it's going to leave someone better than 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 what you found them. So, yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree with that anymore. So you uh, left the
1: USTA. Yep. Went to work for Universal Tennis. Yep. And at the time it was new. And I would say when, when UTR, you know, formerly UTR now universal Tennis came out, what excited me about it was this, when you look at sort of the ranking system and the point system, right. I remember I was coaching like you know, three or four girls, all of them were top 50 in the country, right. None of them had won a tournament in over two years, mm. but they were able to play a lot of tournaments, quarters of a lot, round of 16 of a lot and be top 50 in the country right? Because you could basically accumulate and buy a lot of points, right? If you can afford to travel, boom, your ranking is going to like incrementally go up. And in the space that I work in, working with minority players or people who are late starters to the game or don't have the money to travel, what excited me about UTR was that I could get judged on the quality of the matches, right? If somebody happens to fly to Chicago and play a tournament, I could basically eat off their ranking, right? Or their rating without having to spend money to go fly to Easter Bowl or whatever it is like that. And so I don't know if that was the impetus behind it, but it did sort of level the playing field versus quality over quantity. Um, I do think UTR is still a mystery to some people. They're still trying to figure out the algorithm, how to manipulate it. Can you give us like back of the envelope crash course on UTR?
0: Sure. Well, look. I mean, first of all, I'm really happy that you've had that experience with it because that was that is what it's intended to do. You know, it's intended to basically give everyone an indication of their level um, by the competitiveness of, of of how they play against who they play. Right? Rankings are are flawed for a variety of reasons. They have people their places are geographically um, kind of more more in line with having more points. So, by example, if you take it to the ATP level, like there's something like 60% of the 60 to 70% of the tournaments that are on the ATP tour, especially in the pathway are, are in Europe. So like you have also corresponding 60% of the professionals who are in the top hundred from Europe. Right. Um, You may have areas like Minnesota that do not have very many, you know, tournaments that players from there are going to suffer because of a lack of ranking points as opposed to a Florida or Southern California. So I think what UTR does and the rating that I've, that i love and that i believe in wholeheartedly is you know really a few things number one like those people who are looking at it to try to manipulate it like i hear you that was the first thing that i did as you know kind of director of college tennis at the usda i basically went to all these colleges and had them privately finance um you know futures and challengers because we needed more points on american soil versus europe and with that we were able to get so many more collegiate players through. So like, believe me, I'm the first person who looks at it and is like, "Okay, like, how can we structure this to the situation where, you know, where we give our players advantages?" This do is with UTR is that you can't really game it. It's just so incredibly good in terms of who you play, what the score was, and. You know, when you look at it from a zoomed out perspective, you're able to you're you're able to have every match that you play count for your rating. You're not it's not going to matter whether you play an ITF tournament or an, you know a future or a juniors or you know, kind of a, a, a sectional tournament or you know, a national level L2, you know, and you have all these points, but the point from the L2 doesn't go into juniors and junior ITFs don't go into pro it, like the fragmented nature of tennis is an absolute is is just chaos really quite honestly Mm -hmm. and you know the thing that I've always felt with UTR the rating that's really awesome is every time you step on the court whether it's for a high school match whether it's for a UTR match play whether it's for you know a USTA L2 or sectional tournament or ITF whatever that's all aggregated together to give you the best level the best indication of your level so for me, like I, I'm just a huge proponent of that, not only because you're able to have every match count, but you're also able to see where you are kind of across this continuum of tennis. And so my, just as a last item, because it's relevant to the Universal Tennis Hurt Awards, which gives $100,000 to college players coming out of school. The, the first time that I really saw this was when I was working in Carson with USTA and Mackie McDonald used to come down from UCLA and hit with Stevie Johnson and Sam Corey, who were both top 50 at the time. And Austin Krychek, who I was working with, who was about like 120. And like, we were able to see that Mackey was pretty close to a top hundred level player. And, you know, just on his college results, he's number one in college, but he's 900 on the tour. Like where does this guy fit? And that's where I really got to know UTR was, Hey, UTR had him at the time at about hundred in the world, which is exactly where I thought he was. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting. So you know, it just gives an objective understanding of the player's level um, in a in a fairly murky world of understanding kind of, um, you know, where you are with rankings that can be manipulated. So, you know, the algorithm is very complex, yep. right, which
1: it has to be complex to work. And one of the things that I learned early on is that, you know, in junior parents, they always want their kids to play up, right? Sure. And as a coach, you know, even at this level, we talk about like the small, minute, difference between being 25 in the world and and, and six in the world literally yeah. right you know i coached a player and was probably one bad line call on the left sideline away from number one on clay right you know? and so what i always tell parents is play your level right play people who are your level so you actually learn how to win yeah playing up against somebody and getting your brains beat in doesn't necessarily benefit you because i think people inherently know how to fight Yep. right but playing somebody that's like, you know, close to your level and learn how to think and win close matches is a longer, it's a better benefit long-term to your development. So now if you play somebody that's two points higher or lower than you in your UTR rating, the match doesn't count. What's the logic behind that?
0: Yeah. I mean, look, first of all, so there's two parts of that that I want to comment on. So starting with the 2.0, you know, kind of, I don't, would, don't want to call it a rule, but like some kind of the the 2.0 situation, um, you know, we have so much data in our system that shows that when a result, you know, w- there's so little chance of a win or even kind of a competitive match at that level. And we define competitive match as somewhere about m- a closer match than six four six four. We have so so little results that that make sense on that that you know we we actually don't count anything over a 2.0 level. However, however if someone within that time gets to be within a 2.0 level of the person that they played, we store the result. And that result is actually able to come on whether positive or detrimental to the player. So like we have it, we just are saying we have better indications of your level than if by example, and you're in women's tennis, like a 2.0 difference would be the, the player who's 350 in the world playing Ash party. who's number one. Mm-hmm. So, like, the 2.0 difference would be someone who's number one in college playing Novak back joke fish. So, like so – let me answer this question. Yeah. So
1: what you're saying is if I played somebody, if a kid played somebody that's 2.0 higher than them,
0: yep. okay,
1: that match is still stored in your data. Once sure. the kid that lost, obviously, to the player or the lower kid yep. comes within a point, yep. then that match will now fall into their sort of database. Yes, within their history. All, with, okay, got it. Within even their last was-
0: thirty, I mean, even if it's point, if it, even if it's one point nine or one point nine nine, you know that will come onto the system. Now, when does that then,
1: expire, though? Is it like a two-year time limit? Is it no? One if, year?
0: if it's within their last thirty matches, as right. the entire UTR algorithm takes only your last thirty matches over right. a fifteen-month period, right? However, what I would say is that in that match, if he if he or she loses badly, that also counts. Right. So, like. That is, that's the kind of like, that's, it's, it's not, it's not a one-way street when you're playing people higher than you. And like, there is this intention of like, oh, we should play someone higher than that. That's not true. Actually, the fastest way to improve your UTR is actually the hardest way to improve your your UTR, which is, you alluded to it, you want to play players at your level and you want to beat them pretty decisively to the point where you're proving you're actually not at that level. Mm -hmm. consistently over and over again right so we've seen people make pretty big runs in the highest levels of, of utr when they're basically going through you know multiple tournaments and winning straight set match after straight set match after straight set match probably at their level you know not so much that they're beating you know whatever Daniel Medvedev 3-3-3, three, 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 that's right. not going to happen. Because right? he's well tanked, right? I think that that's, I think, yeah, I yeah. think that that's, I think that that's kind of one of the misconceptions. And the only other thing I'd say to parents is exactly what, what, what you mentioned, like, try to just zoom out a little bit and understand that the rating is best used when you're not looking at every point zero one up and one down, you're looking at it over a two, three month period. You're seeing that there's improvement. It's gradual over time because it's never that fast. And the fact that if you work and you compete and you continue to focus on becoming a better player, your rating will um, correlate to that. Well, I equate it to this, right? So, you know, I look at like pro tennis and number one, they take your, tie,
1: your, your highest, your best 16 results, right? Mm-hmm. And your ranking is primarily comprised about that. That's number one. Number two, Time on court, right? So if you are 25 in the world and you are on the court with somebody that qualified and they're 170 in the world and you're 75 in the third, there should be a negative impact to your UTR based on you not winning two and two like you should have. Because in real life, there's negative impact to your body. If that's a first round match and you're 75 in the third with somebody 170 in the world, you're on the court probably an hour and a half longer, which is going to hurt you for the next round. The hour and a half longer on court also puts you at risk for getting injured in that time frame, which could have a, a longer impact, right? A more negative impact on your career long-term. And so beating people you're supposed to beat and the manner you're supposed to beat them is a skill that should be encouraged, rewarded and or penalized, right? At a younger age, because let's say you do make it in college. Let's say you do make it on tour the impact of not beating somebody you're supposed to beat, how you're supposed to beat them, could have career ending injuries, right? So I look at like someone like Francis Tiafoe, who I love to death. He's somebody I would say that every now and then I have a mental lapse and ends up on court an extra set than he should be, right? And the impact of that, thank God has not been, but could be dangerous. From that extra hour and a half on court.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, I think I could speak at it from the from the from the UTR and the rating level, like and and just kind of the the what would happen there. And like in the example you use, like, you know, if you're close with someone who's 170 and they're actually the 170th best player in the world, you know, the indication just again zooming out and taking a step back is like, look, like you're probably not playing up to your standard as whatever the 10th best player in the world or whatever you wanted to use in that example, right? Like if you're playing close with the number 170, there's usually probably one of two things that are happening. Number one, the person who's 170 is probably way better than 170 because they're (laughs) right? Or two, or two, your level is on the day probably not as good as number 10 in the world or whatever it may be, right? And I think that that concept is what UTR tries to put a kind of gauge on. And you will get an understanding of your level, probably best in the world, because we're able to unify all the you know kind of results and systems that are out there on one standard. Um, but that is kind of like the concept of it. And yeah, it, it makes you perform to the best of your ability each day, which you know kind of as a challenge and as a competitor, I think is something that a lot of people um, should should want to do. But it also
1: speaks to the other thing that UCR measures, which is the trend, right? So that person that's 170 could be playing better over the last 90 days. And the person that's 20, 25, who's got a you know 12, 52 weeks of points that haven't fallen off, yep. could be playing worse, right? And so like the trend, right? Also could I mean, be
0: awesome. I I couldn't agree anymore I mean in general I would say when I look at the the ratings especially at the professional level and you can tell me what your thoughts are but I feel like we're usually about four to five months ahead of the rankings in in both spaces and like it's been it's been more it's been more evident lately because like the rankings have been skewed over what tournaments played or what tournaments didn't and kind of longer than a 12-month period but like there have been multiple examples, like, where Jenny Brady was trending in our top 10 before she, you know, kind of made semis of the U.S. Open and finals of the AO. I mean, we've had Daniel Collins really close to top 10 um, for the last four months. She just made finals of, of, of the AO and, and kind of got there. You know, another one is Carlos Alcaraz. We, I think we have, been like, five or six right now currently, and, like, obviously he's a little bit behind that, but you're seeing his level, and you're like, wow, like, the guy's pretty pretty special you know um so i think that that's where those things is is kind of like where i mean another one's jensen brooksby you know we've had him at pretty close to like 15 for a little bit probably like two three months he's not there yet but i think that there's a belief that his level is going to get him there and you know if his wins over cc pass this week and kind of like where we feel like hey this is a tight match against nori who's 11 in the world like you know we i think that over time those results will play out with the indication of level that, you know, UTR gives people.
1: So we run a lot of junior tournaments at our Academy, probably 38 to 40.
0: Nice. I like it.
1: Oh man. What we see a lot is people will lose in the front draw. Sure. Right. Pull out of the back draw in an attempt to maybe avoid a bad loss, I call it match ducking, right? Duck a match or whatever like that. Mm-hmm. What is UTR doing anything? And ultimately from a coaching standpoint, I'm looking at, look, a 14 year old, they need a lot of matches, right? Sure. I look at like, you know, being a good student is you show up in group, you got a great coach, you take private lessons, all that other kind of stuff. And then matches to me is like test prep, taking the ACT, right? The Kaplan courses. And so when I see people duck matches. I'm like, no, dude, you're 15. What you need is more matches, right? Because that's the job is to learn how to like compete and win a match. So is UTR doing anything to try to discourage or punish ducking matches?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, great question. First of all, it's probably about a 2%. So two out of every hundred matches from the data that we've gotten shows that there is a default in some way. Now, you know, they're actually crazily uh, split 50 50 between main draw and back draw and they're split 50 50 between higher rated utr and lower rated utr so it's kind of nuts because like we hear a lot of anecdotal stuff about people pulling out of the back draw and like there could be a lot with that there could be the fact that people just don't want to play in the back draw there could be the fact that people don't want to hang around anymore there's all kinds of those things what we do do is we actually flag the number of withdrawals at the top of um, someone's results so like it will show hey look this pro player has Whatever, like one withdrawal in their last, you know, thirty matches or whatever it is, or they're above two or three, I would start being like, wow, that's probably something that's you know a little bit of a habit. But you know, as a coach and come out, I throw it back to you a little bit. Like, I mean, like I think that we need to kind of help educate coaches and help educate parents that, like, look, like matches are what's needed, especially at fourteen years old. You need to go out there and try to learn how to compete and learn how to win. And you know, I mean, I would I would also question the you know, the culture from the coach and, and, and kind of, you know, the, the support team around each of these players, that's going to be like, yeah, you know, it's a good idea. Like, don't, don't do that.
1: Um, yeah. That, when I, I see that, that player is not going to make it.
0: because Yeah. A- so like, I mean, it's kind of, I think that that is really the question that we should be having. Like why, why are, why are players kind of, why are players being allowed to do that? if they are, you know, and I think that we have an understanding that the number is probably not as high as people think it is, but it's just so glaring, and I think it, it, it kind of is irritating to, you know, people who are in coaching, or people who, you know, work hard to put on tournaments, when, when that does happen, and, you know, I would just really kind of, you know, ask the coaches and parents, like, look, like, is that what you want to really teach your kids, because they'll those lessons there are going to be kind of kept and, and stay with you. And I think one of the one of the best and most challenging things about tennis is the ability to go out there and earn it every day. And if like you're playing someone who is not of your level, showing up, doing your job, taking care of business, that's a skill that's going to, you know, translate and be with you for the rest of your life, whether you're playing tennis or, or whether you're obviously going to, you know, move on to, to other things.
1: Yeah. So when I think about like coaching at tour level, like I think that, you know, players don't change, right? They become more of themselves. And when I look at juniors, right? And I look at sort of like, if you look at the American juniors that are well-ranked, winning junior slams, it's lower than the rest of the world, right? And I think at this level, there's an element of toughness that is missing or is not being taught. And so when I see a player duck a match or not be encouraged to play the match, a, I I would never coach that player because even if you can hit the shot the ball and you can move, if you ain't tough, you ain't gonna make it. Right. And that and, and when we when we have juniors, that's what we're shaping them, right? That's what we're teaching them. When they get 25 and you've, incur, you've allowed them to duck matches and be soft and pull out and all those other kind of cheat and that kind of stuff, you're not gonna reshape them at 25, right? They're just gonna like blow up into this real tennis monster that you allowed them to become at 14. And so I think it's hurting the toughness of our sport and i'm sure you would agree when you start competing globally or you have aspirations to compete global, globally everybody can hit the ball everybody can move can you fight right and can you do it at five all you know five all dudes and i see that this behavior is going to say no they can't do it right and i wouldn't want them on my team in college
0: yeah right? i mean look like and and that's it and like that's that's why we flag it because college coaches have said to us we want to know kind of like what the character of these players are before we start recruiting. And, you know, I mean, they're very grateful for for having this kind of information, but Kamal, out, like I, I'd agree with you, man. Like, you know, in general, like tennis is such an incredible metaphor for life. And I think that that's where, where people who have played the sport really kind of value when they look back on it, what they learned in juniors, like, yeah, the ability to kind of go out there and, and and be tough and like learn toughness and learn how to fight and learn how to problem solve and learn how to do those things is is really kind of what it's all about at that level. I mean, you and I both can probably chuckle looking at the 14 year old right now, like this is an incredibly long journey. They're Probably, I mean, if, if they're going to get really good at tennis, they're probably not even halfway through kind of where they would want to be with their tennis life at 14 years old, you know? So like, Take a step back, focus on improvement, focus on getting better each day, know that this is an incredibly long process, and try to make the right decisions for the overall improvement of your game. I mean, that would be the, that would be the kind of um, mantra that I would give to players that are of a young age and kind of really focused, I mean, I was too, really focused on like the next day, the next result, the next kind of like tournament that they're playing. Just try to take a step back, look at the big picture, improve every day, enjoy the process, um, and really have fun with what you're doing.
1: So, you mentioned that college coaches will come to you all, give you feedback. I think one of the things that tennis in general struggles with is we're not a nimble sport, mm-hmm. right? We got Grand Slam Committee, WTA, ATP, you know, NCAA, IT, you know, ITA, ITF, Fed Cup, all this other kind of thing, right? But UTR, uh, Universal Tennis, has seemed to be almost like a tennis tech startup, right? Where you can, open to new ideas and are very nimble an example of that is what you guys did during the pandemic tell me sort of like what you all are doing to move forward right i just heard that there was an amazon deal like you know you guys are always have new like sort of that's going coming up. tell me like what y'all moving i know you your fingers be tapping away i'm like yeah bro you know ali's are uh, practicing over there and you like yeah i'm i'm on his own you know what I mean like those fingers are <laughs> tapping away tell me where you're moving next
0: well I mean look I think you you hit the nail on the head and I appreciate the compliment on us being nimble we have an incredibly hard-working team and yeah we are a tennis technology company we're not you know we're not necessarily married to tradition we feel like you know tradition absolutely has a incredible place in the sport but you know we're going to try to improve it however we can so a lot of the products that we've come out with um have attempted to do just that so whether they're new the rating itself to start out to aggregate everyone in the world on a on the best indication of their level whether it's the ability like you to run tournaments and give people a local affordable option at more match play um through events at you know at their facility um, you know we've we've decentralized the ability to do that and and allowed kind of more people to play um we've put together these amazing things called flex leagues where basically you have you know a three match aggregation um of of um almost like a decentralized uh, ability for you and me if we're the same level to play over a four-week period with people in your area so now we're i think we're in about like 70 markets globally on that and it just offers incredible flexibility in terms of people playing tennis um so you know i mean think of it like instead of having to play a saturday and sunday tournament you're able to schedule a match at a time and place that you guys both agree on you know and i think that this is more for the recreational adult market but can be used for for really anyone and then i i think you know as well but we've we've come out with a 25k tour that has had 185 tournaments in 15 countries last year and led to this you know awesome partnership with amazon all those matches starting in Kind of middle of this year you know quarter two and and beyond is going to be on amazon prime which is something that we're really excited about i mean you know the ability to kind of work with the company that is probably the biggest company in the world and you know bring them into tennis and and have them kind of believe in what we're doing is just an incredible validation for our team so you know i appreciate what you said about the pandemic we worked hard i think that the entire sport had to pivot um And, you know, from our end, like, this is just the beginning. We're going to continue to look for solutions like a technology company should, you know, in tennis. And, uh, you know, really try to kind of continue to make people's experiences and just overall life better when they play the sport and more enjoyable.
1: Yeah, so, you know, we held tournaments in Chicago this summer, and the hospitality portion of it definitely presents a challenge. You got to, you know, guarantee them five nights. You got to transport them to and from. You got to feed them on site, player plus two, player all that other kind of stuff. So, you know, I do see that. Um, tell me about like the difference between, let's say WTA model, right. USTA ADK challenger model versus the UTR pro tournament model and yeah. what, what it will allow a smaller organization to run an event without all the sort of mandatory hospitality, et cetera.
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, look, we, that's what we did. You know, we kind of took a look at, at kind of the standards for, you know, the levels of 25K tournaments that are out there met the ones that we feel like were critical, i.e. referee levels and, you know, having, um, you know, basic standards around kind of just stuff for the players, player lounge and, and balls and practice courts and, you know, lights and, and all those things. But we stripped down the other options that like really cause stress on both an organizer and a player. What we did was we created a format where there's a round robin. So you're going to have guaranteed matches per week, you know, in, in the WTA or ATP or ITF, like pretty much any level of tennis. Like you can go and get a bad draw first round and get knocked out and lose seven, six and a third and then have this cost incurred to you where you're paying for a hotel room each night before you're able to get to the next week. So you know, in our system, we have three round robin matches where if you kind of win your group or kind of come in second or wherever you place, like you then go into the quarterfinals and beyond based on whoever else won their group. Um, So look, that guaranteed matches has the ability, as you mentioned, for players that are developing to continue to develop by getting more competitive opportunities. And we've seen incredible feedback. I think we're You know, something like ninety-five percent plus of players that have played in our tournaments play again, and they also say like how much they enjoy that kind of format. So basically, you're able to get more matches in one week. You're able to do it in a place like we like to try to have two in a row in the same city. That way, thinking you know and invoking new technology. Hey, look, you're you're going to go to a place. You're going to try to get an Airbnb for fourteen days. You're not going to incur kind of you know, a daily rate on a hotel. You're able to kind of do this in bulk. You're able to hopefully have many matches. You're able to, you know, go there and and get what we feel like is pretty good money. It's the best money kind of at that level from a 25K perspective. Um, and, you know, you're able to do that. You're able to compete, get better, and, 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 and then, you know, kind of continue to improve. So, I mean, this has all been done with kind of a technological focus. The other thing is that every single one of these matches are, are streamed. And so they're either on, they were on YouTube, but now they're going to move to Amazon Prime. So that's something where, I mean, you know how it is. If you're, if you're a developing player, you're trying to bring a coach with you, but if you're making, you know, 200 bucks a week, that's impossible, you know, financially. So now here you have the ability to, to have your coach, like watch you on, on stream, give you thoughts, give you advice, give you kind of concepts, have you yourself as a player learn um, without incurring a cost that, you know, is obviously going to be a fee per week hotel and expenses and all these other things that make the sport really difficult financially for players of that level. So, you know, out of all the things that I've done like this and working with our team to try to create, this has been one of the things that I'm most proud of of, because I think that it's really going to be able to help a lot of people um, in their development and in their journey to try to achieve their dreams of being a professional tennis player.
1: The other thing that I think, you know, last year we looked at doing it and I think having it on Amazon prime answers the question that a, a tour or a tournament organizer would need to a sponsor to say, where's it gonna be televised sure, or a stream? Sure. How many people are gonna watch it? How many people are gonna see my logo? And so I think being able to answer that question is a step forward for that model as well. Cause there are still costs, right? Fucking like balls and it's and 100%. security and.
0: No, I mean, look, you're right. I think that, you know, we're elevating the standard of 25K tournaments by having every single one of them on Amazon prime, like full stop. You know, and the fact that we're able to do that and, you know, have it be kind of in partnership with, as I mentioned, you know, one of the biggest streaming platforms in the world is something that we're incredibly excited about. And I think that the sport should be, you know, really fired up about.
1: So I got two more questions.
0: You've been on here a long time.
1: How did you choose Duke? I know, you know, like TP, Tommy Paul always tells the joke about how he wanted to go to North Carolina, but they wouldn't give him a full scholarship. (laughs) right and so how did you choose Duke and what would have been your second choice
0: well it's really funny I mean my mom who means a lot to me and passed away about a year ago this time um, wanted me to get a great education out of out of of going to you know wherever I was going to choose for 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 college so I was kind of very academically focused and um, you know I was a pretty good tennis player I'd say that I was probably top 10 in my recruiting class I wouldn't say that I was the best. um, But I definitely was, you know, had the interest of some schools. I set foot on the campus at Duke. I love the coach. I love the guys on the team. And, you know, it's just really been a place that's, you know, near and dear to my heart. I was also looking at some of the other top academic places like Stanford and and Harvard. Um, Those are kind of my three that I was choosing between. But, you know, I uh, I thought that Duke was just a place that was special to my heart. And I really believe in going with your gut um in a lot of things and that was one of them that I definitely did and I'm really happy that I did.
1: (laughs) So my last question is uh the other side of you I look at you like a tennis parent because you're a former coach. You know a lot about the game at multiple levels and your wife's a pro tennis player, but you can't coach it yourself. So for me, I'm thinking like that would be a fucking nightmare of a job, right? To have to coach this dude's wife and he used to be a coach on tour, coach USCA, et cetera, et cetera. Name the top five coaches you know on tour right now. And they can even be men's oh. coaches. They don't even have to be girls' coaches. And I knew I was going to fuck you up with that one. So top five coaches on tour right now, number one. And number two, do you choose – when when Allie's evaluating a coach, do you weigh in or do you stay out of it?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, look, you, I mean, you, th- those are two interesting questions. And, yeah, I mean, look, I every tennis parent who's listening to this, like, I feel you. Like, I know – I know – what you're going through. I can feel the emotions. I can feel all of that because I deal with it on a pretty weekly basis. Um, and, you know, I mean, like I I, I try to give Allie input on, on, on her coaches. I think that um, she's been around for, you know, whatever, 13, 14, 15 years. So she kind of knows what she wants. And over the course of her career and over the course, if you're a tennis parent listening to this, over the course of your child's career, you know, you're probably going to need different things at different times. So I think that she's she's been aware of her own game enough to know kind of like what she needs. And I think that she's been really lucky. She's only had a few coaches and I feel like they've each been there for the right time that, that they've had it. Um, look, I can't comment on who's the best coach or who I feel like is, is a great coach but I feel like a lot of people are doing a pretty phenomenal job. But like, with that being said, like, I know who I've learned from and like, they've been from, you know, people of all kind of, of, of all kind of ages, of all kinds of backgrounds. And, you know, I mean, a, a lot of that has been through my time at, at the USDA. Um, you know, I do think like, just off the top of my head, like Jose Garris, Kathy Rinaldi, um, Brad Stein, Jay Berger, Paul Anacone. Um, you know, I mean, I've had amazingly productive and, and insightful conversations with Lindsey Davenport, um, you know, and then I feel like each one of Allie's coaches who I've been lucky enough to kind of get a, a kind of more of a under-the-hood look from, I've, I've really learned a lot from, and, like, I think that that is the key thing as a as a tennis parent, so whether it's, Tom, you know, Tom Gutteridge, who's Allie's current coach, or Billy Heiser, or Yves Boulay, who are two of her former coaches, you know, like, if, if you're there trying to really insert yourself in the situation, your player, your child, your wife, in this case, is only going to know kind of, like, what you know, and, like, I want her to figure out everything that like, I don't know. I'm there to kind of give advice to the coach when, when coach asks me and when they want my advice. And besides that, I'm just trying to, you know, hopefully be as positive as I can for, for everyone in the situation, you know, and, and, and make sure that kind of, um, you know, that, that everything that I can be helpful with is, is, um is, you know, taken care of. And like, as a tennis parent or as me, like in this case, I think that that's just reinforcing what the coach is saying to the player and, and kind of trying to not send mixed messages by your actions or by your your words when you're not at home you know when you're not on court with the player so you know if the if the coach is saying hey look like you got to work hard and you got to really kind of dedicate yourself to the sport off the court and then you know i mean we're not doing that off the court and obviously that's not any time that you the coach or whoever you're working with is, is going to be with the player like you need to kind of keep that continued you know continuation of you no know more
1: like because i look at like i always tell parents yo you're about to drive an hour home don't undo what i did yeah exactly right? you know what i mean like don't because you you know you just spend an hour or two hours with the player they go home they got a long-ass car ride don't undo what i just did right you know
0: i think and i, and I think and i'll and 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 truly, and I understand where they're coming from, because this is a costly sport. This is a costly sport financially. This is a costly sport time-wise. This is a costly sport emotionally. You want your child to do so well, um, your wife to do so well. Um, But there is a time and a place where you need to be the parent, the husband, and not kind of get involved. And I think that, um, you know, the more that I learn, the less I try to be involved, because, um, you know, it's, 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 um, it's something that I would never want my role to, to be anything different than, than, you know, family.
1: Yeah. Well, brother, I appreciate you taking yeah. so much time with us. This was a really interesting discussion on so many levels. I Very you, When I, I see you after a match, I give you that look, you give me that look, and I know exactly what you're thinking and you know exactly how I'm feeling. Right. And you have the luxury of being at the laptop and not having to give the post-match speech. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh it's uh it's all good man i want to thank you i want to wish you a lot of success and um you know keep moving the game forward and i appreciate the time
0: you as well thanks for the thanks for the opportunity to come on and um appreciate you letting me uh uh talk with you about all this stuff all right
1: guys this has been a tennis.com podcast with
0: steven Armitrage, uh
1: executive at universal tennis and i gotta give you my john boy chris everything
0: and husband of Allison risk I'll take that as a second. As a second, <laughs> appreciate that. <laughs> thank you, brother. All right, man. Talk to you soon. All right, thank to you soon. Peace.